Hello and welcome again to another evening. As ever, I am Danny. You can find me on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books and also over on TikTok. And for this episode, I am joined by Kate Griffin, whose novel Fine Shade is due out in May of this year. And oh my word, we know I love a slice of gothic. Uh, we know I'm absolutely here for it. And this book has all of it uh, with a bit of a twist. I'm very, very excited to welcome Kate on the podcast. I have questions galore for her, so I think we should just dive straight on in. A big hello to Kate. Hello. Hello. Hello, Danny. How are you? Good. I'm good, thank you. A bit cold, but fine. I know. I don't. I can't wrap my head around the fact that it is now April. I know. I know. It doesn't feel like even spring has started, let alone anything else. So. I feel that it is so miserable. And I'm one of those people that my mood is not great during the winter months. No, no. Well, hopefully sun soon. Hopefully some sun I soon. So. <laughs> I, I think, you know, we're British. We know better at this <laughs> to hope for anything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We always expect the worst. And then if something good comes along, it's a nice surprise. And obviously my listeners can't uh, can't see this, but I'm admiring your Carry On Cleo poster behind you because yeah. I love carry on films oh, do you? they just bring back such childhood memories so I've spied that that's one of my favorites as well oh carry on Cleo is a particularly good one that poster is my husband's pride and joy it's an original uh carry on film poster um and funnily enough two of the people on my guest list for later may or may not be carry on adjacent so Ooh. there you go that's oh, the- <laughs> carry on brought me and my husband together we both went to review the last ever carry on film for our respective newspapers because we were both journalists at the time um and it was the one that was kind of like the reboot in the 90s yeah it was carry on columbus and we were so horrified by what we were seeing as carry on purists that we were the only people who were standing outside the cinema it was a screening cinema in london afterwards just kind of like suffering with anger so we went for a drink to discuss our anger and here we are 28 years later. <laughs> what a meat cute. I love that. Good, isn't it? It's true. And it is actually a proper meat cute. <laughs> so. And I know what you mean, though, you know, when they did the reboots, and it's not the same. The OG ones were everything. And I know, you know, in this day and age, you some people watch them back and, you know, some of the humour, I still love them. I think that's oh. brilliant. Some of the humour has dated terribly and, you know, obviously a lot of the sexism and the racism, it's it's kind of hard to watch. But I think you have to accept that it was a thing of its time um, and then then try and watch it through those eyes. But they do jar. I I totally agree. It jars today. But um, but I still love them. It was always they used to play over Christmas and I can always remember sitting in front of the teeny little box watching these carry on films. I used to just love them. Yeah, and they're kind of like safe. They almost feel like family, that kind of cast of actors. They feel like family. And as you say, I think a lot of us associate them with our childhood and perhaps feeling kind of like, you know, it was a celebration time, like Christmas or Easter or a bank holiday. And of course, it being Britain, it would be raining. So you'd be inside watching the TV. Exactly. <laughs> what else would we be doing during the festive period? Because <laughs> we're not out in the snow. So <laughs> yeah, that, that's for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming to chat with me all about your book. Delighted. I, I have it here. In this beautiful, I mean, the proof is stunning. Oh, uh, well, the, actually, the final editions have just come in. And if you think the proof is beautiful, the final editions are 
they are honestly I, I had a little tear when I opened the box and they've actually picked out all the kind of the gold on the thing in actual foil gold so all the little obviously again my listeners can't see but you've got gorgeous poppies on fine shade with these little tiny skulls oh, nestled yeah. in tight so oh I just yeah. you and know the when briars. the yeah you the know briars are golden, pretty, okay. the finished Good. thing is going to be I probably will end up buying the finished copy as well. Good, good. So uh, that's some enabling that you've managed that. <laughs> marvellous, marvellous. <laughs> now, we've got here the most like sumptuous gothic novel. Firstly, for anyone who hasn't read it, describe your book to our listeners. Right. Well, basically, it takes all the tropes of gothic, I think, or what I try to do, and then turns them on their head and then disembowels them. So what we have is a, a girl goes to an old house, a very deserted, very large, very grand old house in the middle of the countryside. And she goes there as a governess to a, a girl who's about 10, nine or 10. Um, and it's clear from the very off that this girl has been ejected from the lovely cosy village where she used to live um, for various reasons. I can't give it all away. Um, and we also know that her grandmother, her much-loved grandmother, it begins at her grandmother's funeral, um, was regarded as a village wise woman. Some may also say witch. Mm-hmm. Um, and the trope, usually, of the Gothic novel is that uh, an innocent girl goes to a creepy old house. And I think in this book, it's fairly safe to say that a creepy girl <laughs> goes to an old house and sets about turning it on its head I in lots of ways. So. I agree. I love the, there's a little mysterious caveat there, but I do think this does take, as you say, the kind of classic, as you said, girl goes to creepy house. And, you know, the governess trope has been used a lot oh, in yeah. Yeah. gothic novels, for mm-hmm. sure. I don't know if it's something to do with children. They are fairly creepy. <laughs> uh, they are creepy. I think you're right. They can be creepy. I think the governess is quite an interesting trope. I mean, right back to Jane Eyre, it's interesting because the governess occupies an interesting place in a household. She's neither upper class or lower class, and she has access to all levels of the house. Um, and the governess is generally in a place of trust, mm-hmm. which gives my character in particular um, access and the ability to leverage and uh, find some fairly interesting areas within the house. So, so when I just... you started this novel, and obviously, did you know you were going to set about writing this kind of gothic kind of twist? Did you kind of know well, from I... the outside? It's a really strange thing. I kind of this book came to me fully formed, and and I think that happens with the best books actually. Um, and I was at an event about 10 years ago now and Ian Rankin was speaking and he has this feeling that kind of like an author sits down to write and at any one given time this is a bit woo by the way but there are kind of like a million ideas for novels floating around in the air and that they just kind of like home in on one person who looks likely to be able to carry it forward and I kind of felt that's what happened with me because um I was I was actually dabbling at the time with, a, and I haven't given it up, but a sort of a, a 1920s set detective story. And I'd written about two chapters and I was really enjoying doing it. You know, it was a bit Noel Coward. It was kind of like people were trapped in a country house in a snowstorm and one that was a murderer. And again, I was going to subvert that mm-hmm. idea. Um, and I kind of put it to one side because I just suddenly had this idea. The first sentence of the book just came to me. Um, which is which is Gromer died in a win- amidst, in the midst of a winter, white and hard as the alabaster men- monuments at the entrance to the Van Meeren family crypt. I think that's the first line of the book. And I thought, where did that come from? And I wrote it down. 
And then I started writing the story and it did just kind of like tumble on from there. And I, I knew immediately that she wasn't nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew immediately that the house she was going to had secrets of its own. Uh, and I knew immediately that this book was kind of going to occupy a place between Jane Eyre and The Turn of the Screw, mm. which are the two great governess gothic yeah. books. Um, and I think there's a bit of a talented Mr. Ripley in there too. I definitely, yeah, a little bit. I definitely see that that vibe there. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting when you don't have you don't have a protagonist per se. You don't have your hero. Everyone's a bit morally, I want to say morally grey, but um, everyone, everyone, everyone has a secret. Everyone. Yeah. And but, it makes yeah. it so much more interesting because who do you root for when everyone has kind of got a reason not to root for them? Well, who did you root for? I don't want to give too much away I I do I am a fan of a bad girl and I'm a fan of um a girl with her own motives so I was a fan of Marta I have to say um I do think I do like a a female character who wasn't all you know they seem Hmm, interesting I'm glad you said that because lots of people have said to me and um already it's getting kind of Goodreads reviews and NetGalley reviews it's not out until mid-May end of May or May the 18th um but lots of people have said that despite themselves they find themselves rooting for Marta and one person even said that she was slightly disappointed when things started to go awry and then pleased when things started to get back on track and then kind of so it was interesting it was it was kind of an interesting reaction maybe we love characters like that despite ourselves I I was gonna ask you you know what do you think it is that draws us firstly to kind of gothic fiction and then also to flawed characters what do you think that makes people keep going back to these stories I think flawed characters are something that secretly all of us like because it's almost like a release you know kind of like there but for the grace of God you know we've all kind of like been the good person someone has done something at work or in our personal lives and we've kind of bitten down on it and kind of like mm. and we've allowed it to pass but in in a book like fine shade um you you know it's kind of like quite liberating yeah um, and especially liberating for a female character i think i don't want to get sexist about it but i think that and especially in kind of like the gothic victorian trope it is a nice girl usually who has things done to her um whereas Marta is not going to sit back and allow things to be done to her she's going to take control she's going to get what she wants she has a goal she's going for it and she's kind of angry about what happened to her back in the village she's determined to better herself which is not entirely um a kind of like an invalid reason for what she does um or a bad thing um but also at the base of it she probably has absolutely no scruples or moral compass That is very true. And actually, the one character I kind of came into my mind is Rebecca. Yes. Rebecca. When I was reading, you know, when you've got Rebecca was kind of on the surface, the perfect wife and the perfect. And then when you find out the truth of her. Yeah. Realize that what's actually under the surface isn't Isn't quite so nice. Yeah. That's so much more interesting. It is. It is really interesting. It's psychologically interesting when you have a character like that. I mean, that's like Ripley obviously um um, and and I what I I really enjoyed about Marta writing Marta and I have to admit it was frighteningly easy to write her she just kind of poured out on the page and all her horrible kind of malice and wickedness but um what was fun to write about her was that you know she just let rip she just let go she just went for it (laughs) I think sometimes it's more fun to write the 
the wicked characters or the morally grey characters. Mm. I think it's more fun than writing the kind of prim, proper, yeah, you know, mousy, mm-hmm. sweet characters who don't get to speak their mind. And it's different. To, it's difficult to give them agency. I think sometimes, you know, as a reader, um, you know, the the nice prim, mousy characters, although they're quite often at the centre. But say someone like Harry Potter, for example, in the Harry Potter novels, um, obviously, um, you know, he, he's nice and he's kind of good and decent, but you can't really think of a he's not really you know he's just think he's a character that things happen to often and you know kind of that that happens in a lot of books where the main character is a put-upon girl or a put-upon you look girl. at Rebecca you know Mrs De Winter is kind of sweet yeah she's sweet she's nice um she's decent you know kind of like she's she's she means well but it's just not exciting is it it's just well, not. well how do, yeah well how do you describe that person I think sometimes I that's done to be able to put yourself in their shoes yeah and imagine yourself as that character but with Marty you don't want to do that <laughs> no oh god no you don't want to do that but I think that the, the the interesting thing about when you're reading the book is that you are Marta almost because it's written very strongly from her point of view it's I did this and I think that and I do that so immediately um another another author friend of mine said kind of like the monster's not on the page the monster's in your head ah. and that's actually quite scary I think when she said that to me I thought oh and she said you know what you've done don't you <laughs> I mean this came from your head I'm just putting it out there <laughs> Yes. Imagine this. <laughs> yeah, so another friend of mine said, um, because I, I sent her one of the proof copies and she said, Well, I now uh, regard you with quite a lot more respect and some fear. <laughs> oh my goodness. If you can write a character like that, I mean, I have to say, it must be liberating though to be able to step in the shoes of someone like that and just go for it. It must yeah, be so much was. fun. I mean, like, it was fun. It was I fun. think, right. how do you? you know how do you follow on from something like this because you've written a character who is you know dark is wicked has got quite the backstory is this something that you kind of foresee yourself continuing in stories kind of subverting tropes and writing a different well, twist on things I think I was actually going to about as I said I was about to write a story that subverts a trope but I'm actually writing something it's a it's an odd how I came to Marta is odd actually because I also wrote the Kitty Peck novels for Favour and Favour <laughs> And Kitty Peck um, is a London Cockney. She's an aerial performer in kind of like a music hall in in the East End of London. And she is thoroughly good. She is, she's kind of like sometimes a little bit ambivalent. She's kind of slightly on the edge of the law, but she is good. You know, she's a decent, good-hearted person. And almost like writing Marta was a bit like a palate cleanser after that. As you say, maybe this is the two halves of your personality. Well, it is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yin and yang, dark and light. It's very, it was very odd. But the book I'm I'm writing now, um, I'm, I'm actually writing with a colleague, um, a writing colleague. Um, and we've just got a two-book deal with Simon and Schuster on the back of the first book, which is very exciting. And it's as far from fine shade as possible. It's not gothic, it's set in the Georgian era. Um, and it tells the story of uh, the Blackbirds of St Giles, which was the kind of like the poorest community in Georgian London. They were it was like the beggars who lived around the St Giles Church area, um, and many of the people who lived in that area were black, were actually black, um, and they a lot of them had come over from America. They were either escaped enslaved people, or the Crown very cunningly had said in about 1770, 1776, I think, um, if you fight for the British and you're an escaped enslaved person in the Americas, 
come and fight for the British army against the Yankees and we'll give you a home and we'll give you freedom. And lots of people rocked up in this country. This is a very familiar story, I'm sure. They rocked up and they found, obviously, that that was a whole pack of lies. So they ended up living in really impoverished conditions, um, along with um, the Irish community who'd come over to build the new Georgian London. Also a lot of Scots who had been moved off of the estates in Scotland during the Highland Clearances. Um, Now, my writing partner, Marcia, is of Jamaican heritage. Um, and she's written books for school children about um, black history and kind of like, and she's she's tried to make it very black history connected directly to Britain. Um, and we got together and we found out about the, the community living in St. Giles and we um, wrote a story about them. And uh, amazingly, it's been commissioned and it's called, it is actually called The Blackbirds of St. Giles, but it won't be out, I think, until next year or even the year after. So, um, and but they've commissioned two books. So, um, the first, The Blackbirds of St. Giles, and the second one will probably be called something like The Covent Garden Nightingale, but we're not sure yet. Wow, but it, that's uh, well, congratulations. Firstly, that's Thank incredible. Yeah. I, I, this is something I'm not familiar with at all. So, it sounds absolutely fascinating. And obviously, as you say, a story we've heard in various different forms in lots of different ways, uh, right up to modern. modern- yeah. Yeah, it has real resonance, you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it happening. Um, yeah, it's like Windrush, you know, it kind of has such strong echoes exactly. of Windrush. And kind of, uh, and, and Marcia really knows, you know, her black history, um, both kind of over in Jamaica, where the book begins, but also in this country, you know, where her family have lived. And kind of, so it's been... It's been fascinating and I have learned so much. I've I've learned so much, you know, just going into the history, talking to Marcia, working with Marcia. So that's been exciting. It sounds incredibly fascinating. And how do you find kind of, because, you know, you said to begin with, you work in kind of a 1920s detective story. And then we've gone to the, you know, the year of fine shade. And now we're going here. How do you keep track of all these time periods? Well, you just work on one book at one time. Yeah. Which is, uh, so, so fine shade. So I, I, in my head, fine shade is an unspecified date. But in my head, it's around about 1847. Yeah. So it's like peak gothic, you know, it's peak, yeah. peak gothic. Um, and, you know, and I, I, I love history. I used to work for a historic buildings charity. So I know I know a bit about history. I'm quite confident, you know, that I haven't got things wrong. I haven't got a car coming down the street or something like that. <laughs> um, but also I know quite a lot about old houses and how they're put together, very old houses, because having worked for the Society for the Protection of Ancient Buildings, I've been behind walls of houses. I've kind of followed secret passages along panelling. I've um, been lowered into priest holes and then kind of like... so. And all of those things appear in Fine Shade, as you know. Yep. You know, um, you know, I was kind of writing from, you know, a fairly informed position. It was something yeah. I kind of knew about and, and felt that I was, I wasn't misleading the reader. By yeah, and it. it's that detail I think that makes such a difference. And when you write a gothic novel, the house is usually a character all of its own as well. So yeah, it's really it has to be. To that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, that is one of the gothic tropes is that the house or the setting, particularly the house, becomes a character Um, that, you know, there's usually a wicked man of some sort. There's some some shade of wicked man involved. And of course, there's a wicked man involved. 
there's the the naive uh ingenue who goes to the house that's another kind of the weather is also a very gothic thing yeah it's always Um, damp (laughs) well in fine shade i've decided to go for snow because i just love snow and i just i put a lot of snow in snorri so whenever i read something that's got snow as well i always think of like the shining there's something immediately perpetually terrifying about the idea of being in a building in the middle of nowhere surrounded by snow yeah and the shining is an interesting example because you're right that's totally gothic um but the hotel the hotel in the shining the haunted hotel is a terribly modern building with electric lights and you know a generator and all those things but but that obeys all of the gothic tropes the secret there's always a secret at the center of a gothic tale or a gothic house or both so you know and and you know if you go through the gothic list and i think there is a classic list of gothic gothic tropes basically fine shade has them all to some degree but i may have twisted them around a bit knotted them up presented them in a different way so which I loved I absolutely loved that I think you know when you read you know gothic novel you think you know what you're going to get Mm. and what I really love about fine shade is you are wrong (laughs) yep yep good good that's good (laughs) I picked it up thinking oh I know what this is gonna be and then you're reading I'm like I did not know what this was gonna be which is of course there's the witch the witchcraft element as well which kind of is another that's kind of borderline gothic I think actually but yeah, and for the, witchy, I mean. yeah but I, I leave that to the readers to, to decide whether Marta really is a witch or whether she's just lucky I don't know you know is is do, do those things really come to pass because of what she's done or or not what I would say is that um I don't know if you notice but every character apart from Marta has a familiar so Vaughan has his hawk Grace has Lancer she also has Rummy uh, Mrs. Gurney has Lancer the dog, so I kind of like. But but Marta, who is a witch, is the only one who doesn't really have a familiar. Yeah. Oh, I did not key in on that. No, we, we, I just fed in lots of little little. There's lots of little kind of I would say Easter eggs in the book that you know, and I wouldn't expect you know, but but if you pick them up, then you pick them up and go, oh yeah, and then if not, as soon you as know. you said that, I was like, oh yeah, like it's interesting. And so, look, you obviously. You're, you love history you obviously draw on so much inspiration um I have no idea what your novel evening is going to contain because I feel like it could okay. be almost anything from anywhere at this point I'm imagining we're going to have some historical characters coming into play yes yes I have my list here in case I forgot any of them yeah I'm feeling like we're going to have some I think there'll be some real life historical figures I think you're going to have some real life authors possibly as well yes yes but that's yes. about all I can fathom. So okay. to start things off, I always ask, where are we going to go? Well, there were three places. I don't know. So there are three places I actually love so much. I've narrowed it down. So I thought about Cornwall, which I adore. And in fact, I'm going there in three weeks' time and I can't wait. Oh, Rye in Kent. Okay. Which is a very beautiful, I mean, you you probably know, but it's a very beautiful old smuggling yeah, well, it used to be a it used to be a seaport, but it's now silted up. But it's kind of full of like fantastic old cobble streets and kind of. Uh, but I have actually decided on Venice. So there's so no there's no argument there. I mean, no. all three of those are lovely. I live very close to Cornwall, so I'm obviously very fond. Very yes. fond of it. it is beautiful. Kent is stunning, but Venice is Venice. Venice is Venice, and I mean that really. Yeah. 
wins the prize really I feel and Sally I've um, never been I would love to go so this would be an opportunity I know oh you must go it is really it is really melancholically wonderful slightly creepy I would recommend going in the winter rather than the summer because in the summer it's um it's not stinky I don't think I have been in the summer and it's not stinky and when people say oh Venice is smelly it's not um but it's just really crowded really really crowded um but if you go in the winter it has this kind of wonderful gloom I can't really describe it in any other way it's it's very sort of shadowed and dark and slightly scary so, um, is that the time of year we're going to Venice then? Are we yes, going to- we're going to Venice probably in early December, is what I think. And we're going to a palazzo on the Grand Canal. And the dinner party will be in one of the upper rooms overlooking the canal. Candlelit, of course. Obviously, yeah. Our chef will be Vincent Price. I don't know if you know that Vincent Price... Yes. The classic horror actor was yes. actually a superb chef and had written. I did not know that. Well, he's also a writer and he's written, he wrote lots of books on art, actually. He was an incredibly cultured man, um, but he was also a brilliant chef. And he I has written, set, he, wrote, well, he wrote, because obviously he died, I think, about over a decade ago, um, or even more than that, but he wrote several cookbooks. So um, so he would be our chef. And our, our entertainment would be provided by Kylie, who I thought would be a very good. <laughs> that is a throwback yeah vincent price serving us some food while kylie's you know in her gold spangly hot pants absolutely beautiful yeah, yeah. we'll be doing karaoke with kylie later on wow <laughs> so some of my guests will be really enjoying that I think. that is that's a first we've not actually had karaoke once on a novel evening either i think you have to have karaoke i'm not good at it I mean, just chuck it all into the pot on this one. That's what I thought. If, if you're going to do this, if you're going to have one night, you're going to do karaoke with Kylie. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be fun. And whoever else you've got lined up, this, well, now, this is all I'm going to picture. You see, I feel some of these people may be a little uncomfortable doing karaoke with Kylie, but that's part of its charm, I feel. <laughs> so my first, Henry James is the first person who I am desperate to see doing spinning around basically but um <laughs> now I now Henry James I'm taking Henry James because he provided as you know a massive inspiration for the turn of the screw oh. uh, what for for fine yeah. shade in the turn of the screw and I won't say anymore but the the book Fine Shade really owes a debt to Henry James as a governess book and on some other levels. Um, Henry James is a very dense writer. Mm -hmm. I I don't think he's as fashionable today as he perhaps was in Victorian times um, because a sentence begins on page 13 and it's still going on page 46. It's a lot for me, I have to say. I don't read a lot of classics. I think I've picked up his books once and I was like, ooh. No, maybe he's not. Um, But I think the the interesting thing about James is that he was writing kind of just at the time when Freud was kind of beginning to um, develop his theories of personality. And I think he's one of the, dense as he is, I think he's one of the first writers that really kind of like goes into the psychology of his characters or puts a character's psychology on the page. So if you think of the governess in The Turn of the Screw and that whole did she, didn't she, is she really seeing kind of the ghosts of the former former servants in the house or is that kind of like a manifestation of her vulnerability and perhaps her kind of like 
um, her, her, her sheltered upbringing and kind of perhaps even a sort of burgeoning sexuality that she's not aware of. It's kind of like all of those things. And they're fascinating. So um, although Henry James was kind of like a kind of, I think, quite a serious man, <laughs> probably. Yes. <laughs> I just can't turn, turn down the opportunity of seeing him dancing, spinning around with Kylie. So Maybe a whiskey or two, you know. Yeah, we'll loosen him up. I think. Yeah, I think I think you'd be surprised. I think I think yeah, I think. Now, okay. interestingly, another guest was indeed Rebecca. No, yes, yes. there I can I can show you there. Oh, Rebecca would have no problems being on a dance floor. Oh, absolutely not. No, no, I think she'd be. But the reason I wanted Rebecca there was because for all those reasons, you know, I love a dark character. And I think she probably would be highly entertaining. I think she'd be highly sociable. Um, but I'd really want to ask her about her past and what was going on and what She's was the really. consummate hostess, isn't she? She, she is. Party, yeah. but... but I think she'd be a consummate party guest as well, actually. Yeah. I think she would really be fun, So, um, but brittle. Fun, but You're going to try and grill her a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Grill her about, you know, what was really going on at Mandalay and kind of like what she really saw in Max de Winter and who she was really having an affair with and all of that. Who was the father of that baby and all those things. So because it could have been you know, many, one of many characters. So, But but also I love Rebecca because, you know, we were talking earlier. She is the archetypal bad girl character, yeah. the, the character with secrets and kind of which leads me on to my next guest. Oh, Becky Sharp from Vanity Fair. Oh, oh, you're really setting this room ablaze, aren't you? We're really, well, really going for it. <laughs> I am going for it. Well, I love Vanity Fair. Um, it is one of my favourite books, genuinely. One of my, I read it when I was about 13 and I was smitten from the moment. There's a line saying that she was like very small, smaller than the average height with sandy hair and large green eyes. Um, and that's me. I kind of I saw myself on the page and all of a sudden there's this terrible bad girl on the page who does awful things um and who is a kind of a villainess actually but you know who kind of like is also scrabbling up the social ladder and yeah. um I was so I was so and I and I freely admit that the martyr owes a debt to her yeah. in some ways um and I'm somebody an early reviewer has said it that um when she was reading Fine Shade it kind of gave her strong gothic Vanity Fair vibes mm, I see that biggest compliment that anyone could pay for me yeah i can see that now the other thing about um becky sharp is that she's funny she's very funny she is you know again she's the consummate party goer you know and she is witty and she's funny and and actually you can see why she does the things she does yeah claw her way up that ladder and for a woman in her position there's not a whole lot of choices nope none at all and interestingly you know she's a character created by a man it's interesting Um, it isn't, and, and you know, she's the most liberated character in, in and I know that um, Thackeray was setting the book kind of in the Georgian era, but he was obviously a Victorian writer. And if you compare Becky Sharp to, I mean, I love the Brontes, I love the books by the Brontes, but, you know, they're kind of, their women are very angst-ridden, very dark, very angst-ridden, and Becky's just kind of like, you know, although she's got a dark soul, she's all light, really, as well. That's she's got a light thing. touch. In- yeah, that's the thing, she's clever. But yeah. I am a little concerned about her and Rebecca in the same room. Well, I might have to keep them apart. Mm. I might have to keep them apart. I might sit Becky next to Noel Coward because <laughs> I, I think they get on. I think they get I think on. They like would. 
I think he'd be able to handle her as well. I think he would. I think he definitely would. And he'd be very amusing. And I think he'd probably like her too. Because, I mean, I think they're both people. I love the plays of Noel Coward. I I think they're really, they're still really funny. They're still sparkling. They're beautiful, well-made plays. And I was tempted to bring Oscar Wilde, but I think Noel Coward and Oscar Wilde would suck all the energy and the life out of the room together. That's true. So I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with Noel. Because I think he'll get on well with Becky, and I reckon Rebecca probably went to see some of his plays anyway, and probably knew some of the actors in them and things. So probably, and I think him and Becky would be quite witty together. I think they would be quite interesting to listen to. I think they would, and they both. Now, what I was going to say is that they're both people who came from quite. The interesting thing about Noel Coward is that you hear him speak, and you think he's terribly posh and terribly urbane and you might imagine that he came from a very well-to-do family and he didn't like Becky he scrabbled his way up from somewhere like the old Kent Road so you know and and he he's that he is the, they call him the master and funny enough they call Henry James the master as well so there's mm-hmm. a kind of connection there but um he's he's kind of the master at disguise in a way and a lot of that brittle social comedy probably hides um a very deep uh, very interesting personality I should think so oh okay this is a night of some interesting uh, conversations I feel there's going to be some uh, some interesting stuff going on I would hope so but I would hope a lot of them would get together I think a lot of them would um because I definitely think that E.F. Benson who's another of my guests okay. would get on well with Henry James okay the tell me a bit about E.F. Benson E.F. Benson wrote the fantastic hilarious in my opinion Map and Lucia novels I don't know if you know them but, I do um, not they're based around rye um and again they are it's a book they're books written by a man that are largely about women or a woman um Lucia is the the snob social climber par excellence she arrives in this village called Tilling which is loosely based on rye and she sets about turning society on its head by becoming the social butterfly par excellence. And oh. everybody wants to go to her house. Everybody wants to go to her dinner parties. Everyone wants to go to her soirees. Um, but she works really hard at it. So behind the scenes, we see how hard she works with her friend Georgie to make all these things happen. And it's a it's a comedy of manners. And it's very, they're very, very funny. They're still very funny. Um, and they're very beautifully written. And E.F. Benson and Henry James both lived at different times in the same house in Rye. No way! So, yes, yes. So, well, um, that's interesting. They'd have yeah. that to talk about. Yes, exactly. So they could talk about the garden that Henry James planted and that E.F. Benson continued to care for and love. And um, Ooh, I mean, well, and also... lots weaving around here. I see you. Yes. I see yeah. Yes. I'm trying to they're trying to put something for everyone in here so that they will all kind of get on with each other and, and enjoy it and kind of um and I think my next two guests who come as a pair. Okay. They are Kenneth Williams and Fenella Fielding. Oh yes. <laughs> um Kenneth Williams is because he is just brilliant and funny. And depending on what kind of evening you got him on, he would either be the life and soul of the party or an absolute grump. So yes. um kind of so there's no in between. Exactly, no between. I'd hope we get him on a good evening, and I hope that either Becky Sharp or Noel Coward, who I think, oh, I think actually, they would. I think they'd all, I think they'd all get on quite well. I think. Fenella yeah. Fielding was a, a um, with with Kenneth Williams in Carry On Screaming. You may remember her. Do you mind if I smoke? Yes, um, I do remember. As the vampire, as the vampire. Um, and she is just gorgeously and marvelously eccentric. 
Um, I saw her actually the year before she died on stage in London, just talking about her life in theatre. And she was she was incredibly old and she kind of like was hand, you know, helped up to the stage and she was a little tiny old lady and her false eyelashes. I don't know if you remember, she had like massive false oh, eyelashes. Yes. They were becoming detached and falling oh. off. And she had this wig that was falling off. And she stood in front of the microphone and it is true what they say about Dr. Theatre. The light came on and she just kind of like she just popped into action and she just told these amazing monologues about all the people that she'd known in theatre and kind of and she'd just written a book or a co or um a biography yeah. been written about her. Um so that's why I'm sneaking her in as an author. And it was just hilarious and funny and I just would love to have her there because she's oh, you've got a nice mix of some kind of more serious guests but you've also got kind of the humor you've got some wit you've got nice storytellers i hope so i've got kylie obviously in the background in the, in the in the gold you know hot pants so <laughs> oh goodness is that all of your guesses do you have some more? um i've got two more if i'm allowed okay. to have two more you absolutely can i would like the centerpiece of my evening to be the arrival of shakespeare or the person who wrote Shakespeare's play. Oh, that's that's sneaky. <laughs> Whether that is Shakespeare or not, because I'm desperate to know. That's um, huh. I don't know. I yeah. mean, there are so many different um, theories as to you know whether it actually was kind of like a a, um, a clever grammar school boy from mm-hmm. Stratford Haven, or whether it was somebody connected to the court who was using those plays to express political views perhaps the Earl of Oxford, perhaps the Earl of Southampton. I would just love to know because I love a secret. <laughs> if it was him, I really want to ask about like, leaving his wife and children and you well, know, heading yeah, on up he... to London. I would like to quiz him on that. Yes, I agree. And leaving his wife his second best bed in his will. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yes. yeah. yeah, there's some things I'd like to ask him. Whether it's him or not, I would like to quiz on yes. some of that. Uh, it does seem like a very meteoric rise, doesn't it? Like you say, for this sort of school teacher, and then suddenly, bam. Yeah, so uh, or school boy, I think. I don't even know whether he was he a school teacher. I think I he think was he was well. Boy. I think he was on the older kids who taught the younger kids kind of deal. Yes, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something so. like that. But to go from that to suddenly, you know, I mean, it may it may just been that he was kind of like a prodigy, and that had, but you know, it, the person who wrote those plays, whoever it was clearly had access to some amazing classical sources because you know they're all woven in um they knew about international politics they 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 knew about the world in a way that is astonishing for a grammar school boy from Stratford-on-Avon to know on the other hand the world was a smaller place then so perhaps all of those things were indeed maybe someone was feeding him ideas perhaps he was under someone's patronage to that's what that's the suspicion isn't it that some of those some of the plays like Richard II, for example, which talks about the deposing of a king, um, which is obviously very political. Um, perhaps that was being fed to him or mm-hmm. written for him. Or... Maybe we'll get but... to find out then. Yeah. So anyway, who knows? That's that's so that's I would really we like. see who's gonna turn up then. That would be interesting. Oh, well, precisely, ladies and gentlemen, and you know, all these theater- theatrical people there, this would be the high point of the evening, wouldn't it? But all um... the low point, you just see all the low point. who's gonna walk in. Who knows? Exactly. Who, knows? Who would it be? That's the point of that's the point of my invitation. The whole point of my invitation. It's a sneaky um, invite. Sneaky, oh. sneaky. Very sneaky. And the last person I would invite um, is very sadly an author who has just died, called Christopher Fowler. 
And Christopher Fowler wrote the Brian T's, he's he's wrote loads of books. He he worked in the film industry for years. Um, and he wrote some some wonderful biographical books about his work in the film industry or supporting the film industry. But he wrote a series of books based upon two um elderly London detectives who investigate sort of esoteric crimes, mad esoteric crimes. Um, and they are just they're full of London law and London knowledge um, and love of London. And I was born in London um, and I met Christopher Fowler a couple of times and he was a delightful, witty, funny man. And his books are just full of knowledge. And I, I this is my own personal thing. I could just sit and listen to him talking about London for hours on end. So oh. and he's much missed. He will be much missed by everybody in the in the sort of crime writing world, particularly. So. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I cannot, you know, I feel like this is an evening you've put together that's very much from your heart as well. I think you've really incorporated lots of elements that I think speak to your love of novels. Uh, I think it's a beautiful setting. I love that we're all going to do some karaoke with Kylie. Yeah, um, that's my favourite bit. Yeah, but there is one person. going to shimmy in with a shepherd's pie. Yes, there'll be some, <laughs> I think, I think no cow to be up. I think, oh, yeah, definitely. yeah, I love it. But the most yeah. important question is, is there anyone who's not welcome? Yes. Lasso. Oh, okay. That was a definitive yes. I don't really want Virginia Woolf to come. You're not the first person to say that. Really? You're not. No. I think it's I think it's something she gives off. Yeah, very, very strong snob vibe, I feel. <laughs> but not the life and soul of the party. No. Um, I can imagine no. looking down on the wine. I can imagine her not in really being in part of the conversation not enjoying the karaoke definitely not, not karaoke. no yeah. i don't think she'd be there for kylie no oh god no i don't think she would no 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 north noel i don't think i don't think i just no not kenneth i don't and think, I think rebecca would have got her number quite early on actually oh yeah oh and oh, becky okay. sharp i think yeah. she would have been the oh i think she'd have borne the brunt of some uh some wit there i feel i feel that's true i, do. I think it's yeah no, I mean, I, I've, I don't really, I don't know. I had to do To the Lighthouse for A-level, English A-level. Oh. And it was seriously the most boring book I've ever read. <laughs> no, really, I know it's a classic and I know this is probably my failing. But I remember at one point saying plaintively to my English teacher, but when does the plot start? And oh! It was page after page of quite boring description to be perfectly honest there's this there's this dish that um, mrs ramsay is producing it's the birth on daub and she goes on for pages about buying the ingredients for the birth on daub and then the dinner party and then and everything is kind of described in infinite detail but nothing ever happens and and that's the plotless plotless books are just not my thing i know i know that that a lot of them are very beautifully written and the description is wonderful and the characterization is deep. But if you're not going to bother to do anything with those things, then why are you asking somebody to plow through it? And I know that there'll be loads of people now who'll be kind of like, you know, hating me. <laughs> no, I am not a fan um, of Virginia Woolf at all. Um, I do think school sometimes has a lot to answer. For yeah, I think it books. does. I think GCSE did Of Mice and Men for me. It oh, ruined yes. that. Yeah, that mm. book again. I was like, is something going to happen? Or mm. Mm. I'm just going to follow this? Um, so yeah, I do think school has a lot to answer for, but that's fair. Virginia <laughs> will not be made aware of 
the gathering. Yeah. Don't, don't tell Virginia because I'm no. you don't. Yeah. Don't upset. I wanted her to because I think she was quite a delicate flower, actually. But, I think but so. Yeah. I just don't think she'd get the most out of the evening somehow, really. <laughs> I think she, there would just be, you know, when some people enter a party and the mood just changes. Yeah. You don't want that. I think it would go frosty, wouldn't it? Yeah. I agree. I agree. So well, I, I, I highly approve of your novel. Good. I think it's very well curated. I was a little surprised by some of the pairings in the room, but I think you've offset them nicely with some <laughs> other characters. Thanks. And before I let you, before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your uh, your yes. evening, are you reading anything at the moment? I am, and let me tell you all about it. And the people listening, I am reading *The Square of Sevens* by Laura Shepherd Robinson, which I have as a proof. And it is astonishing, and I am loving every page of it. Um, and in fact, I um, emailed because I know Laura a little bit, and I emailed her the other day and just said, "Well, that's it, Laura. The rest of us historical writers might as well just put down our pens and shut up our laptops and go and breed chickens." And in fact, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> it's I wonderful. Give up. What is the point? It's wonderful. My yeah, proof it's... is on its way. I'm very. Oh very excited for it it's fabulous it's um it's 18th century so um you know it's in a zone that is in my head at the moment so it's yeah. interesting it's totally different um it's early 18th century it's a the young main character is a girl called red who is an orphan taken to bath um to be raised by a kindly elderly gentleman uh, and she is the last known person who can read the cards in this cartomancy kind of divination form known as the square of sevens uh, and that was taught to her by her father who dies at the very beginning of the book but what we learn is the fact that she knows that 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 way of reading the future or divining the cards is very dangerous because it proves something about her and her parentage mm. i can't say anymore <laughs> You've got me. I cannot wait to get stuck in. Uh, I think I might have to read it as soon as it arrives oh, now. Just do. Just dive in. It's wonderful. It's, it's wonderful. Awesome. Well, so. thank you so very much for taking the time to chat to me. This has been an absolute pleasure. You're I welcome. cannot wait. I think Fine Shade is going to do amazingly. May oh, is far so. away. It's Tell around everyone the about it. <laughs> it's thank very you. soon. It's imminent. So It is. Yes. 18th of May. 18th of May, everybody. 18th of May, a month and a few days a yes. month and a pinch until it's out yes so everyone needs to get on it i know so many <laughs> of my friends who love a good gothic novel they need this oh good i can't wait to see the finished article as well i'm very excited well, um it's beautiful as i said it is very beautiful I'm, I'm so happy with it it's um it was one of those moments when i opened my box that literally my jaw fell open i was like, i didn't know it was gonna look like that <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I'm sure we're going to see it absolutely dominating Instagram feeds. I hope so. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. It's. I'm not not very good at Instagram, so it certainly won't be my Instagram feed. Oh, believe me. If it's as beautiful as you're saying, and like the proofs are gorgeous, it's going to be everywhere. I guarantee you. But thank you so much again. And uh, yeah, have a lovely evening. Thank you, Danny. I've had a lovely chat. Thank you.